Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you all. And I want to share an exciting insight into this word remember tonight. But first of all, let me quickly say that those of you that want to explore all this that we are saying, the love, the grace of our incredible God, we have literally hundreds upon hundreds of hours of teaching on our website, and right now, and I mean now, we are doing a special of free shipping, and so visit our website. And then don't forget our retreat, it's still continuing daily to fill up, and so if you're coming Let us know the first weekend of December in San Antonio. And then, um, don't forget, if you want to join our Bible school, a new cycle begins in January. And you can see that on our website or call our office. Okay, I want you to turn, if you're reading the Bible with me, to the book of Numbers. And... It's the story in chapter 13 and in 14, the story of the 12 scouts or spies that went into the land of Canaan, the land of God's promise and gifting to Israel, and then they return, and 10 of them come back in utter despair, and two come back with a report of the living God. And so Caleb was one of those. He's the spokesman. Joshua stood with him. Um, There's a suggestion Joshua had to wrestle with this at least for a night because when they came back it's only Caleb that does the talking. And it was the next day that Joshua is seen to join him. And so in verse 30, after the spies, ten of them, had said their words of despair, Caleb said in verse 30, he quieted the people because the report of the ten had caused them to go into hysteria and terror and everything that goes with it. And so he quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means Go up and take possession of the land, for we will surely overcome it. Okay, then um, he, he speaks further um, in verse 7 of chapter 14. This is the next day. Now he tells the congregation of the people why he has that attitude. He said, along with Joshua now, he speaks to all the congregation and he said, the land which we pass through, the land of Canaan, to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. It's everything God ever said it was. If the Lord is pleased with us, and that if is not the if of doubt. It's not saying, well, it's possible he's pleased. No, it's... um. Better, I suppose, we would say, seeing as, uh, if that be the case. And, and so, seeing as God is pleased with us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. He can almost taste it as He's talking. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And finally, 
um, in verse 24, after the people have completely rejected the possibility of receiving the land, in verse 24, the Lord himself gives Caleb a reference. He says, My servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land. Okay, what's all this about? Well, let me say yet again, the background, the tapestry on which all of this is uh, played out is the tapestry of the covenant where we have this, and I, I, I say this pretty well every day of my life, but I never can wrap my brain around it, that the covenant announces that God himself has given himself by his own love initiative. He has given himself to his people. And that is why they had left Canaan. Uh, sorry, they had left Egypt. That, that, that's behind that. It was not a whim that God just said, well, I'm going to get them out of Egypt. He who gave and gives himself to his people says that he will not allow them to remain under the tyranny of the Pharaoh. And so you have the story of the miraculous deliverance from Egypt. But it was a deliverance not only from Egypt, but to a place of rest where in the midst of the earth they could be seen and known the glory of God and persons who lived in faith, in trust in him, Canaan, a sort of expanded Garden of Eden that yet spoke uh, of something yet future, a people who would live inside of God himself, you and I. That, that covenant, let me underscore it because I want to make sure that you get what I mean when I say covenant. It is God's desire. When I say God, I mean the one God who is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God in Trinity desires to be with us. That, that's an incredible statement. The covenant was God's idea. He took initiative from his love and desire. This is not the pagan sort of stuff where where we make sacrifices in order to appease an angry God and maybe get his attention for five minutes. That's paganism. No, this is from the God side. He desires with a limitless passion He desires to give himself to us, to be with us. You know, I I lecture in Bible schools and seminaries, and so often the curriculum of a Bible school is, what can I say, abstract. That, That is, they learn about God. And that, that I carefully worded that. They learn about, that is, he's sort of outside of them to be studied like a butterfly on a board and, or something you carve up in, in a laboratory to see what's there. You, you learn about it. And, and it's all about God abstract ideas about God. You know, he's all powerful, he's all knowing, and. But when I actually come to the scripture, do you realize there's nothing there about God? What you find in the scripture is this amazing, this astonishing truth that God will not be simply someone, something out there remote to be studied, but God is always known as being together with us. The scriptures are the unfolding of this, I, I keep coming back to incredible, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's astonishing. 
We're not studying a God out there and studying about him. We are coming to see a revelation from the heart of God that he refuses to be God without us. We are part of all this. It's God and us on every page of the Bible. He has bound himself to us. He stands in union with us, in solidarity with us, and he will not let us go. That's covenant, you see. And all of that in the face of our rejection, our pushing back, our disobedience, our choosing the darkness and the lie. But God in covenant says, then I'm coming to join you inside your darkness. I'll get inside your head that is all twisted by lies and deceit and darkness. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so one of the basic statements is scattered all through the Old Testament. The statement that sums up the covenant is, I will be your God. And you shall be my people. And, and, and well, I could keep, keep going here. <laughs> uh, um, I will be your God, your God, your God, possessive. I, I, I give myself to you. I am my own gift to you. You will be my people. We will share life. We will live it together. That's what the entire Bible is about. It's not just God, it's not knowing about Him, it, it is knowing Him, it is relationship with this God who will not give us up. And in these early books of the Bible, that idea is just being revealed. This God is just getting through to the people that this is what it's all about. And so Canaan, as I said, uh, it, it was an enlarged Garden of Eden. It, it was uh, the, a place in the midst of the earth where the people would be in this union with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and be working that union out in everyday life so that to walk into the boundaries of that land you would come smack into a living picture of what mankind was always meant to be. And so Canaan became the place of God's gifting, but it was the place where they were to rest in their faith and relationship with Him. Live out their lives in solidarity, bound together with God Himself. So they've come. Now, you see, behind them there is the whole of the exodus, the deliverance from Egypt, going through the Red Sea, uh, demonstration to this people of the living God with whom all things are possible in his love knows no limits to achieve its end. And they come to Mount Sinai and at Mount Sinai the covenant is made with this people. That is they have had the covenant with Abraham, which has gone to Isaac and Jacob, has been played out in Egypt through Joseph. Now to this people, it's moving beyond a family of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It's becoming now a nation of people. And a covenant is made, and covenant promises are given which come down in, in center to that phrase that the Lord is with them, with them. Well, they come to Canaan and so they send in the twelve, I call them scouts, they, they were sort of spies, but they, they were scouting out the land and... <laughs> and... And they go into the land in a mentality of forgetting. That's the word we've been looking at in these last weeks. Forget, as opposed to remember. And those words, especially the word remember, is a covenant word. That is, 
everything that God has ever stated in his covenant, all that he has given of himself, all the promises that are attached to it and are there because of it, they're not ancient history. They are remembered, that is, they are brought from the past. In fact, they don't belong in the past. They only happened historically in the past, but they are brought into this present moment, pulsating with freshness. And all the power that first came when the covenant was first made is now released into this moment. Forgetting is the flip side of that to say that everything that happened back there happened back there. It's interesting history, you see. And the words, they are magnificent words, and we stick them on our refrigerator. We had them hanging in our hallway. But of course, they're totally irrelevant to my daily life, you understand. It, it's the way we became a people. It's That's why we're called Israel or Judah. But it's back there. Forgetting is to leave something in the day it happened and in leaving it there have no relevancy to what I think and say and do and expect in this present moment. It's powers are simply history. We read of what he did. There's no bringing of that power into this moment. That's forgetting. It doesn't mean amnesia. You are well aware of what happened, but you just say, well, that was for then. This is for now. Now's the real world. And of course, we, we, uh, we, we get this mental idea. We believe that. That is, we know about it. We studied it. We got an we aced on the test, but now we go on our way. You see the way. And that's how they went into this land that God said he was giving to them. They went in knowing that he'd said that, knowing all that he had said in covenant, and yet uh, saw it as absolutely irrelevant to the challenge and the opportunity facing them in that day. And that's amazing. I mean, when we looked at Gideon the other day, well, at least all this was a few hundred years behind him. Um, so, I mean, there's, a, there's quite a space. But this, these fellows had been there when it happened. And this wasn't ancient history. It was only a few weeks ago that they had stood at Mount Sinai and they, their voices had been there when the covenant was made and they said yes to the covenant. Huh. These, these 12 chaps had been slaves in Egypt. They had seen with their own eyes the plagues. They had walked with the mud at the bottom of the Red Sea oozing through their toes and they looked out at a wall of water with fish looking at them through it. They walked through the Red Sea, these fellows. And that very morning that they went into Canaan, their breakfast had been manna, divine food, that they never understood how it happened. But the food was always there every morning outside the camp. And these fellows had eaten the manna. I mean, I'm almost uh, running out of words here that... Uh, they walked into the land of Canaan, and yet, as far as they were concerned, they were on their own. I, I can't explain unbelief sometimes. It, it baffles me. You know, they had arrived there at this place, right on the edge of the land of Canaan. It was called Keresh Barnea. And, and they had arrived there led by the cloud. They had seen the living presence of the glory of God lead them through the desert to this place. And there they could see, that as they come out of their tent in the morning, the glory of God was upon the tabernacle. At night it was like a great 
furnace that overshadowed them. And yet, I, su I suppose it's something like people who can give praise to God on Sunday and approach Monday with anxiety and fear. I don't get it. But that's the mystery of forgetfulness. I forget God. I keep locking him up in the past, even though that past might have been yesterday. We look back at those great events in life, as they would look back at Egypt, or look back at Sinai, or look back at picking up the man of this. And, and we, we, you know, when you see and you feel the presence of God, and, and, and Monday morning, I suppose, seems very blah. It's the idea, well, when that happened, we could have believed anything then. But this, you see, is the real world. I know what happened then as I was reading the scripture and praying. And, and I, I, that, that, that moment when the Holy Spirit opened my eyes, I know what, the, yeah, that was, I, I could believe anything then. But I mean, I'm in the office now. That's the real world, isn't it? I just forget that. Let's get on with life. Strange. They were looking at the land of God's promise with no sense, no remembrance of his presence being with them. They saw themselves as utterly alone. They knew what God had promised concerning this land in which they walked, but in their mind, that's our problem right here, in, in their mind... They'd invented another God. They, they had a mental idol, and that God was fickle. You know, he changed. The God of Sinai, the mighty presence, well, I don't know where he is today. I know what he said, but I'm not too sure something like that could ever happen made for good reading, uh, good listening, but now we're actually faced with it. I, I don't know if God's even with us, not in this. Uh, well, when God gave his promise, I didn't anticipate this. This being a land full of very big people who had weapons to fit their bigness, very well-fortified places, and it seems no one had told these people that somebody else was coming to live there. And, and so the attitude of the ten scouts, it was almost as if the real God had gone fishing. And now they're on their own to handle this. As if God said, I've given to you it, uh, do your best to get it. They're beginning to look around and say the idea that this is God's gift to us is one great big stupid idea. It's the dream of a madman. We'd be very quick to say they didn't have faith. The fact that, look at it like this, they had a lot of faith. Only it was faith in the lies, the deceits that had messed up their minds it was the great lie that is at the heart of forgetting the great lie that God's locked up in ancient history and has nothing to do with today the great lie and they believed that please understand people who say I don't have faith they have a lot of faith but it's faith in the darkness it's faith in God being fickle it's it's faith in a, and a changing God who's not today what he was and so as they they walk through the land fear rises inside of them because the moment I have forgotten the presence of God committed to me, that is replaced by fear. The mark of believing the lie is fear and anxiety. As soon as Adam, 
believed the lie of Satan, the first words out of his mouth recorded in Genesis is, I was afraid. It's the first time the word was ever used in the human race. It's the stamp, it's the seal, it's the mark of satanic lies that screw up our heads. We're afraid. We see ourselves alone. And we see what's in front of us impossible. And rising within us inside the fear and anxiety is, I can't, I can't. We look at the promises of God and they appear to be 2,000 years old. And, and, and we hear the whisper inside, don't be daft, that won't work. This is ridiculous, the dream of madmen. You see, forgetfulness... You, I was going to say usually, I'm going to say always, is always in the past. That is, any thought I have, God was that. He was. He's locked up in the was. Was. And things used to be, there was a time... And so we've got all these things in the past, and, and we adjust them. We adjust them. So they, they look a lot better than maybe they actually were, because that's how it works. Uh, we, we live backwards. And then we look at where we are, at least briefly, and, and, and then we go backwards and say, if only I hadn't made that decision. If only. This is what these chaps were doing. They, they were saying, why didn't we stay in Egypt? Oh, what a mess we've got ourselves into, this craziness, this insanity. Oh, Egypt was so wonderful. They're, they're, they're going to do that for 40 years, you know. Do you remember? They say, if only, if only we'd go back to Egypt. Do you remember the garlic and leek soup? Oh, I can still taste it. It was such a marvel. What? what? Talk about selective memory. <laughs> you, 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 don't you remember the lash of the whip? Don't you remember your relatives who fell into the mud and were buried there because no one cared? Don't you remember being a slave to a garlic soup? That, that's how it works. We look back and we say, oh, the good days. And, and there was that moment when we knew the presence of God, called, they call it revival. And, and, and you say, oh, that has never been the same since. It's all it was, what God did, what God did. And when I was a young fellow of 20 and God met with me, yeah, but now you're 40, you better bring God up to date. You're forgetting, you see, you're leaving it all in the past. And what does that mean in the present? A vacuum. And in the vacuum, immediately there's fear and anxiety. And, and, and then forgetfulness of the past... <laughs> What can I say? We forget the future. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? That is, in the future, we, we see a God who's absent. A God who's back there. What does the future mean? It means death. They, they says we're finished. If we go into this land, we, we will be devoured by it. It's been like jumping into the mouth of a crocodile. There's no way... But but hold, hold it. You, you you say we should never have left Egypt. You're, you're saying it might be a jolly good idea to go back. And you're saying tomorrow, we, we if we stay here, we'll be in, in our graves. Well, what about now? There's no place for now. To forget leaves a vacuum in the present. And I say it yet again because it's so important the vacuum is immediately filled with fear because I am here on my own. And if I'm on my own, I am left with my mortality, my smallness, my insignificance. Left with my can't. Impossible. And they said it. We've talked about it before, but I'll mention it here. When, when they looked at themselves in relation to the challenges of Canaan, they said, 
We were grasshoppers in our own sight, and we know that that's how the inhabitants of the land looked at us. Grasshoppers. Grasshoppers. They're not a menace to anybody, as long as they stay as grasshoppers. (laughs) I mean... Maybe you city folk hardly know what that is, but if you go down outside this door and and walk through our ranch here, and the grass is high, and, and the, these grasshoppers will they, they jump all over the place, and, and many times they land on you, and and they're cute little creatures, and I can almost hear them as they land on you. They say, "Oh, I, I, I'm terribly sorry," you know. Not supposed to be here, and hop, they go. Um, small. I mean, I don't know how many poor creatures, grasshoppers, get crushed underfoot without anybody even noticing. Insignificant. And and the, these ten fellows that they said we were so alone, we were so afraid, and we looked around, and it was all so big, and we were so small. We felt, yeah, we are. We know we are. We're grasshoppers. Grasshoppers. We're trespassers in that land. Don't you tell us God gave it to us. We we were like grasshoppers that landed where we weren't supposed to land and we went out of there. And we know that's how we were looked at. We, We were the joke of those people just as we walked through their towns. And as far as they were concerned... That was non-negotiable. You see, unquestioned, that's who we are. You see what I mean? They had faith. They had faith in their nothingness. They had faith in the lies that said, you're alone. Joshua, as I said, apparently, he, he didn't go along with the ten. But on the other hand, he wasn't sure about committing. But Caleb was very sure. And he didn't have to think about it. When they get back and these ten fellows start off a a nationwide misery and despair, and Caleb spoke. He spoke very simply. And he spoke as a man of remembering. That is, bringing all of the covenant reality and the God of the covenant into this present moment and looking at this present moment through the reality of the covenant. And he said, that land is everything God said it was. It is exceedingly good. And I don't know what your problem is because we are able to go up and take it. A non-negotiable statement. And he spoke it out from remembering that the covenant and the covenant God and all the power of the promises of that God are here and they are now and they're pulsating with divine energy. Now, now in this moment. And therefore there's no room for fear because I'm not in the past and I'm not in the future. I'm ising in the is. Now. And as I said, the Lord himself gave Caleb a reference. Right there we read it. And he said, Caleb, Caleb is a different spirit. That, that's quite a statement. The word different there is, is used in the, the Hebrew language. Actually, it would be used to describe a foreigner, one who spoke a different language. That's, that's interesting. Caleb, as one who remembered, was a foreigner in the midst of a people who lived in forgetfulness. I suppose today we'd say weird, oddball, different. The word means someone from a different place, coming from somewhere else. And he doesn't think like us, doesn't talk like us. All those words are there. Caleb is of a different spirit. 
And I can hear, do you remember we talked about it, I think last week, Exodus 33, where Moses is saying to the Lord, it is your presence with us that makes us a distinguished people that is from another place. We are different. We are radiant with your glory, your presence, your light. It is the presence of God now, alive, unchanging, meaning now everything he said, because back there isn't back there. It's here and it's now. He's a different spirit. That's my Caleb. He talks my language, you see, says the Lord. He comes from where we live. He lives inside the covenant. The world of the real, real. Is a difference. Therefore he's a foreigner among these forgetters. And he follows me fully. And that's an interesting word. Follow there in the Hebrew language. It meant one who pursues on your heels. You know, so so you're you're in a race, and you're you're leading, and and then you hear someone's breath on your neck, and someone is right behind you. They're almost in step with you. They're keeping pace with you. That's this word, follow. But also, it was used to describe someone with the passionate excitement of seeking hidden treasure. The the kind of person that they've got the treasure map and they're trying to work it out and they're, they're seeking to uncover it. And it doesn't matter to them how long it takes. It doesn't matter what it takes. They rise every morning with the excitement. Today will be a day of discovery. I was in Alaska some years ago, far, far north, up actually by um, River Yukon. And, and, and there was a young couple, they were in the early 20s, and I was introduced to them. They had gone up there, lived in great privation, and they, I, why? Why would you come into this desolate wilderness of frozen tundra? And, and they said that we know that there's gold in that mountain. Well, it wasn't a mountain, but it was a jolly big hill. And, and they had gone up there, two man and wife, kids really, with a shovel and a pick. And they had literally moved the mountain in tearing it apart month after month until the mountain that was here was now here in order to find the gold that they believed was there. That's the meaning of this word. I'm committed. I've seen something and I know And I am going to uncover every stone in order to show how this treasure comes into life. That, said the Lord, is my Caleb. But to the people, Caleb explained his posture, positioning of remembering doesn't actually use the word but everything he says is what the word means and he says to the people look you're all weeping and howling and in despair and having nervous breakdowns full of fear but just just understand and I can almost hear the same frustration that I had a moment ago when he says if the Lord is pleased with us I mean come on guys You know what I know. You were there when I heard it. If the Lord is pleased with us, and we don't know jolly well he is, seeing then 
the words that we've heard and the actions of God on our behalf that we've seen, the Lord is pleased with. He delights in us. He's made it known to us. We don't have time, but look at Exodus chapter 19. And in the first verses, you you see, the Lord says, "I, I bore you on eagle's wings. You are my special people. Yeah, we're, we're the people of his love. Hey guys, don't you know you're his beloved? He won't be God without you. He's given himself to you. You're the people of his relationship. Not as ancient religious history, but in this very minute while you're howling like hungry dogs... The Lord says, I never leave you, never forsake you. I'm not giving up on you. I am here. I've joined your family. I sit at your table. And you're some bunch of people. But I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I love you. And I'm with a committed love. Not a love that responds to how you look this morning, but a love that will not leave you. A committed covenant love. He's pleased with us, said Caleb. He's for us. He's with us. He's with us, not as an idea, but as the person alive to be. To be all it takes in us, with us, to receive all that he promised. I say it again, covenant love, not not romantic love, not love that originates in the beloved. You know what I mean? (sighs) Romantic love, which is really what most people talk about today, is all about someone loving this person because of how they look, because of who they are, because of what they do. And so this person says, of that person, you make me feel good. And in today's sick world, we say, then I love you because you please me. And so we call that love. And when you cease to please me, and when you don't look like you used to look, and you don't act like you used to act, well, I've got to discard you and find somebody else. No, covenant love has nothing to do with what you're doing and how you look. It isn't to do with how righteous you are and how good you are and how many commandments you've kept and how many things you've given up and don't do and all that nonsense. Good grief, whoever brought romantic love into the church and into God, that's an insult to God covenant love isn't beginning with you it's beginning with God God loves you because God is love do you understand that he loves you not because you've tried to be good he loves you because he is good which means he won't give up on us even when we act like these idiots he doesn't he's committed it's unfailing Because it's rooted in God, not in my fragile behavior that changes by the day. And and behind covenant love is the sworn oath of God. And read the book of Hebrews, it talks about that. That God swore by himself on his own being. When, When we swear an oath, it calls upon God to be the witness and the overseer of what we're saying. What happens when God is saying, says Hebrews, he swore by himself, he took an oath on himself, saying that I will keep my word and my love unfailing toward you upon my own being, I swear it, meaning God would cease to be if he ceased in his love and the keeping of his promises. The word for that in the Bible is faithful. It's faithful. And of course, that, that faithful, we, our faith arises from and is locked into his faithfulness. It's because God is faithful that we have faith. Faith is as big as how big we see God to be. 
faithful. God doesn't say, do your best to fulfill my promises. He says, I will do it. So our faith is in him who said he would do it. And he had said to Moses, when they'd had that thing about the Lord being with them, he says that I, I, my presence shall go with you and take you to rest. Rest being, take you into the land of Canaan where you will rest and we shall live life dancing together. So you see, when Caleb went in, he went into the land of Canaan to scout it out, but he knew the Lord had committed to be with them and to be with them to bring them into this place. And he knew that God would. Therefore, you see, exit fear. Because the living God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, fill my now. So he fills my now. Fear is because of something that happened back there and is now repercussing here. Fear is where we're going tomorrow if all this happens. Right? But now is no longer filled with fear. Tomorrow is in God's hands even as the past is. Right now I am in the midst of his love. I am not alone. I have been by his covenant action included into him. Many people are shocked when I would say that. But the Bible speaks plainly, especially as this unfolds and unfolds into the New Testament. This is the gospel that you have been joined with Jesus and Jesus takes you into the same relationship with the Father that he has and the same relationship to the Holy Spirit, his by eternal nature, you by gift and grace. But that's what it's all about. And you see, when I would define God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, he is never alone. He is the God never alone because the Father always has the Son, the Son, the Father, and the Spirit, and the Spirit, the Son, and so on. He's the God who is never alone. That's part of God is love, that God is never alone, and He brings us into the midst of His never alone. Never alone. He is with us. We rest. So faith is not sweating. Faith is remembering him he's here he's now in all the fullness of his being he is now and I find myself in faith but it's really his faithfulness it's God's faith in his own word faith in his own being and as I rest into that my faith is as strong as his faithfulness And Caleb projected from there to that land, and he said, it flows with milk and honey. Taste it, man, taste it. That's where God is taking us. He is with us, said Caleb. He's with us. That phrase that dominates the Old Testament and new. If he's with us, nothing else matters, you see. No longer we bother to talk about individual blessings nothing matters we are in union with him who is with us he shares our lives he shares every moment including this one where we face the impossible we feel all his darkness and despair well he's with us in the middle of our darkness in our darkness he comes into the middle of it in his light Into the middle of our terror and fear, he comes, he's with us, love, and that's the end of fear. When we feel utterly weak, he comes in the midst of us, and he is our strength. Caleb spoke with finality. It's non-negotiable. There's no debate. He stated it, and he rested. What, What I want you to hear... I realize I maybe should have said this more strongly at the beginning, 
remembering, we, we remember the person of the covenant. Father and Son and Holy Spirit, we, we remember the person. Then we remember what the person has done in terms of commitment. We, when I say remember, of course, to realize that he is in this here and now moment. We are not remembering a miracle. Did you hear me? The fact is, they had never seen anything like the land of Canaan before. They had seen Pharaoh when they were slaves. They, they had seen the Red Sea stretching out in front of them and they saw it open. They had seen when Amalek came to destroy them and how the Lord empowered them to overcome. And they, they knew hunger and then the manna came and they knew thirst and then water and so on. They had faced many situations. But they never faced going into the land of Canaan that was filled with gigantic opposition. That was brand new. When I say remember, I mean I remember into this moment the person, the triune person who is the God of all possible, with whom nothing then is impossible. Say it in your heart again. He is the God of all possible. Which means I am going to discover the application of the covenant by this all possible God in a way I've never seen before. This is unknown territory, but I remember into this moment the person. See, I say that because I meet with people that are trying to remember a miracle. That is, God did that then, so he's got to do it again here. Oh, oh, oh hold it. We, we, we do not serve a boring God that just does the same old thing over and over again. I, I don't want to push it, but that's what Satan does. Satan's never had an original idea from the beginning. Every temptation, same old, same old. But he, even when he tempted Jesus, it was a repeat of the Garden of Eden temptation. God, God is the infinitely creative God. He, he does things we've never seen before, never dreamed of before. So that... There have been actions in your life of God's covenant activity that people in the Bible never saw. Because he, he, no. And then you get others who write out their agenda of what God is supposed to do, and then they try to remember him into that and says, get on and do what I tell you to do. No. I remember into this moment the God of all things are possible, the God whose love for me is equal to the love that he has for Jesus, because God only has one love, and the Father loves the Son, and that same love, he loves the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. And when God loved us, he loved us with that same love. And when he calls upon us to love, it is with that same love. There's only one divine love. And so in this moment, he loves me, and I remember that God into this moment, the God of all possible, and I actually have no idea how he's going to do what needs to be done. I don't know how he's going to fulfill the promises he's made, but I remember him and I say, all is well. All is well. It, it, it's, I, I hope that makes sense to you. Caleb remembered the God of all possible. And he said, he said he would take us into rest and he shall take us into rest. It's that person, the Father who loves you, the Father who is revealed to us in and by the Son who came and took to himself our humanity in, I mean, exactly who we are, where we are. He came inside of us. And right inside of us revealed who the Father is. And the Holy Spirit has the passion 
the excited joy of connecting you to that, of being the rememberer inside of you. It's this person of God who has revealed himself in Jesus. He ignites, he inspires this remembering faith, which of course is his gift, his grace. It's the person from whence this comes. See, without the person, you can't have faith. There is no faith to have. But I remember him into the midst of this moment. I can remember him because he is and he's real. And he has come to me in Jesus and comes to me in the Holy Spirit. And I remember him. And in remembering him, realize I can no longer believe the lie. I can no longer believe the deceits. I can no longer believe in the hideous, fickle, angry, pouting God that religion invented. I can't believe that anymore because I've seen the real in Jesus. And therefore, Jesus is the author of my faith. He's the speaker of my faith. And I unite, yes... I believe in the God that Jesus revealed. I believe in the God who is love that's revealed in Jesus that is now brought to me by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? And the people looked at Caleb and they said, what do you know that we don't? Well, what he knew they knew too except it was not mixed with faith it was left there back in history or biblically forgotten the result of forgetting was 40 years outside of the rest of Canaan and Caleb had to go along with them For 40 years, Caleb marched through the desert and every morning and night he tasted the milk of Canaan. He savored the honey because he not only remembered God, but he remembered where he'd been in those few days, six weeks he traversed Canaan as a spy and he never forgot. It was always front and center, the God who made the promise and the God who shall keep his word and the God who is with me for 40 years. And he was there along with Joshua who now led the people across the Jordan and they come into that land that 40 years before Caleb had been there. Everybody else had died in the desert. These were the children now. They only knew it secondhand. He'd been there. And he said to Joshua, Today is my 85th birthday. I was a young buck when we went into Canaan 40 years ago. But now I'm 85 and today's my birthday, he said. And as my birthday gift, I want to remind you, Joshua, the Lord said that I would be here. And the Lord said I could have the piece of land that I carved out for myself 40 years ago. Joshua said to the old gray beard, go for it, man. And Caleb did. In the strength that he reported to the people 40 years ago, he now takes the land, Hebron, built his house there. He received his promise. Well, there's a lot more to this, so we'll be here for another week, I'm sure at least. But I trust that you have received insight into the covenant, into remembering the covenant, and into the faith that is at the center of this covenant, that is inspired, ignite, and is actually given to us in the covenant. May you live in these next days 
as those who remember who you really are in Christ, who is in the Father, in the Spirit. Another blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless you with eyes wide open to who you truly are, because of the love initiative of your God, who refuses to live without you. That's my blessing, and that's the way it is.